You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Honest AF Show with me, Barbara Ann Wild. And me, Daniela Clark. And we are so very lucky today to have a guest with us. Today, our guest is Dr. Alexander Rivkin, who is a neck and head surgeon who is practicing aesthetic and injectable medicine for the last 17 years. Did I get that right, Dr. Rivkin? Yeah, yeah. Head and neck surgeon, 17 years doing non-surgical aesthetics now here in uh, Beverly Hills and uh, in Brentwood. I haven't quite been seeing you for 17 years, but probably close. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> a minute there. Yeah. So Dr. Rivkin, um, I wanted to have you on because one of the things that you're so uber famous for is inventing the non-surgical nose job. And I was just wondering, or rhinoplasty, if we're going to speak properly, but I was just wondering if you would explain to everybody what exactly that is and why you've gone from being a surgeon to specializing in injectables and aesthetic medicine. Sure, sure, sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's real. It's a pleasure to to be on here with you guys. An honor. So thank you. Thank um, you for being here with us. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> and so my arc, the 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 arc of my uh, of my professional life, has been that my training was ear, nose, and throat, head and neck surgery, and then, but as when I came out of training, these new things were just becoming FDA approved, Botox and fillers. And suddenly there's this whole new field that was just kind of being born. And it was really, really it was super exciting because for the first time, you know, it, it was still very much un, un, uncharted waters. And for the first time you, you could do significant aesthetic improvements for patients without surgery. And that was, that was at the time really, really new. Because all we had before then was was collagen, and that lasted for like I don't know, like three months or so, or even even less. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really something that was terribly exciting. But now with Botox and these fillers, there was just a lot of things we could do. And I mean, one of the things about medicine, right, is that for good reason, it's not known as the most creative field in the world. You know, <laughs> last, last thing you want is for your cardiologist to be like, "Hey, I'm going to get creative on you today. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do." So, it's a field where it's kind of, you know, very sober and, and very much kind of people do things on, a, you know, a certain way. But here's this new field where it's just, you know, you can do creative, aesthetically interesting things just by kind of making it up and then seeing how it turned out. And that was, that was cool. And so we, I, I did that. And, you know, now there's thousands of people doing it. But when I was first starting, I was like, you know, I didn't know very many. I mean, it's like me and then a few dermatologists and a few plastic surgeons doing some injecting. And like, I was the only one I knew that was doing it full time. There's so many things I love about you. But after getting to know you for so many years, one of the things that I love about you is that you have not, I mean, you are a very creative and cultured and artistic person. So I love the fact that you haven't made medicine your life and, you know, it, it enriches your life and obviously enriches all of ours. We're all blessed with your gifts, but how did you approach and even dream up the non-surgical nose job? As part of training, we do surgical rhinoplasty. Mm -hmm. 
and so one of the things, I mean, the first thing that you kind of learn when you're learning how to do these kinds of these procedures, especially like these plastic surgical procedures, how to evaluate someone's face, how to look at a nose and say, and, and determine through, you know, observation, what that nose needs in order to, you know, to become more proportional or more attractive um, and or, or improved. And so I had that skill. And then as these, uh, as fillers suddenly came out on the market, I realized that, boy, I can do this. Instead of taking someone, putting them on an, under anesthesia, doing this like complex, very complicated surgery. The most complicated surgery we do is rhinoplasty because wow. that structure is so difficult. It's a tr- if you can imagine, it's, it's a tripod of support and you affect one little thing here and it affects the mm-hmm. balance and the structure wow. and the support of everything. So you have to be super careful. And that's why we see anybody that does rhinoplasty, they do a, a good amount of revisions because- as time goes on and there's scarring and the scarring pulls one way or pulls another way, it's just, it's it's tough. Mm. And so I looked at this and I see these tools in front of me that I'm using to fill up nasolabial folds because that's what people are coming in for at the time. They're just like, oh, I've got these lines on my face. So they look old, so fix them. Like, okay, sure, <laughs> fill them up, no problem. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. I can do this. I can do this in five minutes. This will be so, this is, I know what I need to do. I can do this without operating and so on. And as soon as you realize that, you got to do it. Because <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. you're the patient in front of you who, who, you know, you can save them an operation, anesthesia and all this risk. You, you got to do it. How long does that last? It lasts as long as your filler lasts, right? Oh, the, this procedure? Yeah. So yeah. it lasts as long as the filler lasts. And so depending on what you use is the, is the duration of the, um, of the procedure. And so what I've used are the sort of thicker, longer lasting fillers. And so currently the way I do it is I start off with a temporary filler that's reversible, which is Voluma, and that lasts about a year and a half. And then I always have people come back for a touch-up because I really want, I want to make sure that it's that it's perfect and that it's because in the nose, like even a little bit of like imperfection, it really shows because it's right in the middle of your face and, you know, everybody's looking at it. Right. So you want to have it be flawless, flawless. And so they come back for a touch up. And at that time, I'll say, OK, we can do a touch up using the temporary filler again. Now that you've tried it with a temporary filler, we can do we can continue with temporary or we can switch to a permanent filler and then. Oh, there's permanent, there's permanent filler? Yep. Oh. It's called Bellafill. But the funny thing is, so people are, whenever I talk about this, people are like, oh, no way, it's a permanent filler, so it lasts forever? I'm like, well, kind of, because it's a permanent filler. It'll last forever, but you're not permanent. So so you change, like, you know, your nose, it's not that the filler is still going to be there. It's just like hanging out. Not, it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna go anywhere but your tissues are gonna change and so it's you know you may need a little touch up in seven to ten years right but that stuff ain't going nowhere for people that hate their nose want to get a nose job because like when I think about filler I think about filling in yeah. so if you have a little bit of a bump you can even that bump out yeah okay so this is the cool thing about this procedure this is the second so the first thing I realized is that I can do this right 
quickly afterwards, after the first patient I saw, the second thing I realized is that I can take filler, take someone's nose that looks kind of bigger, biggish. Mm-hmm. I can add to it. And if I add in the right places, I can make it look smaller. And I was it's like, It's astounding oh. when I've looked at the before and afters. It is like as if your eyes are playing tricks on you. Yeah, it's really cool. I do this procedure like six times a day, right? These days. It's like, this is pretty much all I do. And, and every you're time teaching it like all really over the cool. world. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but it's like every time it's really cool. And, you know, I do it and then I look at the person's nose and it looks smaller. It's it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's always very fun. And the reason is when somebody has a curve to their nose or a bump or some sort of contour irregularity, that attracts the attention of the eye. So when you look at the person, your eye just like hones in. Like you remember, okay, <laughs> remember in, um, I forget which, it's a Mike Myers movie and there was a character that had mole. That was in Austin Powers. Yeah, so I think and all he could say is like, molly, 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 right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what happens to your eye when your eye sees a bump on the nose and an irregularity on the nose. It like it right. attra- attracts attention. Does it also work well for like if your tip is lower and you want yeah. your, your tip a little higher? Right. And that's the thing. So if your nose is not straight, it attracts more attention. If your nose is straight, it attracts less attention and blends into the rest of your face. And so that's why it looks smaller. Mm. That procedure, Dr. Rifkin, it doesn't do anything for someone that has breathing issues, right? It's just completely aesthetic. It's mostly aesthetic. I've had a couple of people come back and say, hey, you know what? When you did that, it did improve my breathing issues a little bit, but I I wouldn't count on it. It's right. not that common. It's and just so incredible. Let our listeners have info about that. That's an outpatient procedure. They don't have to check into anything. They can just come to your office, get it done in the afternoon and leave. Yep. Is, is there a lot of bruising or, or pain that they need to know about? Any downtime? No, there's no downtime. A lot of time, a lot of times people just get it on their like lunch hour and they go back to work. Mm-hmm. There's usually not really bruising. I use really, really tiny syringes and needles, both for all the reasons for all the reasons above, so that I, d- I get less bruising. It doesn't hurt practically at all, and it's safer that way as well. And then they go back. Yeah, they go back to work. There shouldn't be any kind of impact at all. There's really no swelling. Afterwards, again, because I'm injecting such tiny amounts of material uh-huh. that there's really either very, very little swelling or really no swelling at all. Most people don't notice that somebody's had something done at all. And then the cost for something like this is just depends on how much filler you need, right? It's a set cost. It depends on if you're doing the permanent or the temporary procedure. But usually with a temporary procedure, we'd set the cost at $28.50. That includes the doing it and then two touch-ups if it's temporary and then if you're mm-hmm. if you switch out to the permanent procedure it's the, the structure changes a little bit I, I forget what what exactly it is mm-hmm. now okay yeah it's it's incredible I mean yeah, everyone so cool. should look at your befores and afters and on your Instagram because uh, sometimes you're doing them in real time on your Instagram feeds yeah. correct yeah 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 I mean it almost never lasts more than five minutes. Usually it's a couple of minutes and that's all That's all I need. I do so many of them at this point. I, uh, you know, I just go into the area that needs to done, be done, you know, and I'm done, finished. It's pretty astounding. And the same with it. I think that when you do the under eye procedure and, and fill in, do like a non-surgical blepharoplasty, is that correct? Yeah. Did I say it right? Yeah. Um, yeah it's yeah. incredible as well. That's my second favorite procedure because... After the nose, 
the impact of that procedure on someone's face is really crazy as well. Because the eyes are such a, a, a focal point of your face, and you want, it, you want your eyes to always be the focal point of the face, the, 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 the place that, that, you know, that, that really holds someone's gaze. Um, and so when you have a shadow underneath, which is what these uh, hollows uh, in the, you know, the tear trough hollows represent, when you have a shadow underneath, it, it makes people look tired. And when you can fill that hollow, get rid of the shadow, make people less tired, it doesn't take very much time. I use a reversible filler that's a, a nice, soft, reversible filler. Um, it doesn't take, it takes maybe like five minutes as well. It's a very, very quick procedure. The effect and the overall impression of the person's face are really astounding. It really they brightens their face, makes them look less tired. But the really interesting thing about that procedure is even though it's a reversible filler that usually lasts maybe, you know, a year or so, other places in the face, for some reason under the eyes, it's like this, this magic area that under the eyes, it lasts for like, for some people, six years, seven years. Well, that's funny, Dr. Rifkin, because the very first time I ever came to see you, um, you were still over near UCLA. and. Yep. I came to you for that reason. The first thing that I noticed in myself aging was very hollow under my eyes. And I did my research and I found you and I did that. It was seven years that it lasted. It's amazing, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's incredible. Oh, Daniela, it's unbelievable. Dr. Rifkin is like the maestro. Actually, Dr. Rifkin so funny. I said that once in your office because you put <laughs> classical music on. And I said, when you walked out of the room, I said, oh, he's like maestro. You know, we're going to get all serious now because usually you and I have a, a good time. And yeah. she said, oh, please don't tell him that. No. Please don't, 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 don't share that with him. <laughs> I got a big head as it is. <laughs> I will not tell you who it is. That person will remain nameless anyway. But no, it lasts so long and it's incredible. Why was that out of favor for a little bit? There were some safety concerns for a yeah. while. Is that around the eyes? Okay. So I think that, again, these are both the nose, especially the nose, but the eyes as well are procedures that really should be done by the most experienced injectors because these are procedures that they have their side effects that can happen. In the nose, the side effects are potentially a little bit more serious. In particular, that procedure really should only be done by really the best injectors and who really understand how to inject the nose. And I say that only because there's a ton of people on Instagram doing this procedure and it's a little scary when I when yeah. I see how they're doing it, you know? Wow. Is it because uh, they could hit nerves, Dr. Rifkin? They can hit blood vessels. They can hit nerves. Mostly it's blood vessels, really. Mm. If they hit, if they get a lot of filler inside a blood vessel, it frankly can be a catastrophe. Oh my God. And there's a lot of blood vessels in the nose. And these blood vessels are vessels that have connections just to places that you, where you don't want filler to go into, you know? Right. So people who do in the nose really have to know what they're doing. And this is something that I lecture about this all the time because people, you know, people go on Instagram, they see, you know, they see the nose being done and they're, you know, and the results are really dramatic and they're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. Well, why don't you, you know, get comfortable with everything else, become a real expert in injections, really study the nose, really study how to do the nose, then do it because this is not a procedure to be taken lightly, even though it seems really easy. And it is fairly easy most most of the time, but when it 
when things don't go exactly right, you got to be able to know what to do. Right. So that's that's the key. That's why I always prefer to just go to a doctor. I don't like to go to um, these like, you know, med spas. Or, yeah. yeah. I don't like to do that at all. Yeah. I always just I mean, go straight to a doctor. <laughs> and I mean, there's, and, and to be fair, there's nurses and there's practitioners and, and, and MPs who are really, really experienced and really, really good. And some, mm-hmm. there's some that are around that are, I, I would trust with my own face, but not, you know, not everybody. So right. you got to do right. your research. There's got to no do your research. That's the bottom line. Yeah. true. And what about the under eyes? Yeah, what are the that's what concerns? I, was say. I don't think that it's warranted, frankly. I think that the warnings about the nose are warranted. I don't think the warnings about the under eyes are warranted wow. because it's not an area that is the people injecting under eyes also should be expert injectors because it's it's near the eye. It's an area that's that where the effects last for a long time. You know, you should really know what you're doing if you're going to inject the eyes. And that's that's a given. But if in terms of things going wrong around the eyes, it's not it's not a really dangerous area to inject. It's just an area that's very tricky to get right. right. Because under the eyes, it's, it's, a, it's a very well hydrated area, that tissue. And so when you put filler in there, if you put too much, it can look, you know, it can look really puffy and you can have results that are that are not that great, right? So it's a little unpredictable. So you have to be careful. You have to be conservative with how you're doing things and you have to do it right. And so again, it always plays back to experience. You have to have someone who's experienced, but there's the eyes are, yeah, I, and I've heard that as well, that people are saying, oh, I'm never going to, I'm not going to do the eyes. And in fact, I was, <laughs> was actually kind of thinking about doing a video about that, saying that that's great. I'll take all the people that you don't <laughs> want to do eyes on. I will do their eyes because great. it's such a great procedure and they'll be so happy. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's what I've been wanting to do that forever. But I heard that putting filler under your eyes doesn't get rid of all the crepiness and the wrinkles. And that's really what bothers me. That's true. If it's kind of those fine lines and that crepey skin kind of thing. Right. It's tough. That you So need- what can you do about that? Because that is, to me, that is like always been the thorn in my side and why I always wear dark sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always hiding. Like, oh, no, my eyes are just totally giving me away here. It's hard. Botox helps a little bit with that. And you can Mm -hmm. do Botox. One thing that people, again, without experience that they don't really know is that you can put Botox really pretty close to the lash line and get some of those those fine lines that come out when you smile. Mm -hmm. Get those to, to not be as prominent. In general, when we're talking about kind of, you know, skin quality and crepey skin, lasers can help. But really... It's kind of, you know, that's the only kind of thing that these procedures can do, can do some good. But right. injectables, when you're talking about skin laxity, they're not very good. They're not as effective. It's mainly just for hollowness. It's mainly for hollowness, right. right. Our, my kind of, my, my ideal patient for under the eyes has good skin, but mm-hmm. just like this genetic hollow. Right, 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 right. And is there anything you can do about, like with injectables, for because I we get this Barbara Ann and I have a Dear Daniela uh, segment of the show and we get a lot of questions about droopy eyelids and one of the things that I don't like is putting Botox around your upper eye where you end up looking like you've got that surprise look on your face all the time 
So yeah. is, is that advised for droopy eyelids or is that just at a point where, like we had a guest on the other day and we were talking about it. She had a lower facelift and neck lift and she's in her mid fifties. And we talked about how, you know, there comes a point where topical solutions don't really work anymore when you get to a certain age. Maybe injectables work great for now, but then when you get to a certain age where you've got droopy eyelids or a sagging jawline, like what can you really do for that other than, you know, slicing and dicing? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, really, literally. Right. <laughs> Knowing one's limitations with anything, right, is so, so important. And so when you have, there's, up to a point, there's some things you can do. So, for example, when you have a little bit, when, when the brow, when the, the, when the lateral brow, so the, the, on the to, towards going out from the nose, when the lateral brow is a little bit low, you can put Botox underneath that brow and lift it in a way mm-hmm. that still looks natural. I, I say Botox, I mean there's lots of, there's four different yeah. brands. There's Botox, Xeomin, Dysport, and, um, and Juveau. All of them work very, very well. So I'm just using Botox as a, as a like Kleenex. Yeah. So when you put Botox or toxin under the brow, you're weakening the muscle whose main action is bringing the brow down. And so when you, you know what I mean? So the muscle, yeah. if, you leave, if you leave the muscle alone, what the muscle does is bring the brow down. So if you weaken the muscle, the brow comes up a little bit. If you do that in combination with a little bit of Botox between the brows and a little bit in the forehead, you can have a nice effect without crazy positioning of the brows. But that's only good up to a point. It can lift it a certain fairly small amount. Sometimes there's some hollowing in the upper lid that you can fill with filler. Let me backtrack. So there's that. There's also, you can also put a little bit of filler in the temples Mm-hmm. And when you do that, when your temples are empty and you put, you have volume loss in the temples and you put filler in the temples, filling the temples out really does lift the eyebrow also a little bit. Mm-hmm. So knowing all these little tricks, you can get, you can get a lot done. There's some energy devices that if you do the energy devices over the brow, you can get a little bit of skin tightening above the brow, above the eyebrow, and that'll lift things up a little bit. So there's things you can do. I wouldn't rush to surgery right away. But then after a while, then it's time to do surgery. But you just have to know when that time comes. And in terms of the jawline, it's the same kind of thing. There's a lot you can do with filler, actually, with the jawline. And I did, we did an FDA study about that, where we showed that when we do filler right at the angle of the jaw, and then at, in the front of the, of the little, if there's a little jowl in front of the little jowl, mm-hmm. you can really recreate a straight jawline for, for a good amount of time. But again, up to a point when there's when it's really kind of heavy jowling, there's not much you can do. Okay. Do you tell people, Dr. Rifkin, you haven't told me this yet, so I guess it's not time just yet for me, but when someone comes in and you think that there's just a certain limitation of what you can do, do you say, you know, maybe it's time to see somebody for surgery or do you, we had never had that conversation, so um, I'm grateful for that. But you also (laughs) tell me no a lot. Yeah. I try to know my limitations, but yeah, I mean, I have a whole roster of people that I refer to. I make sure that, you know, I'm really up with who's good in LA and who's really the best at this procedure or that procedure. And nobody can, nobody's an expert in in everything. And so I've tried to figure out who's really super good at particular like rhinoplasty or facelift or neck lift and that kind of thing. And then I refer regularly my whole philosophy about surgery, though, is 
when it's appropriate, I think it's appropriate. It's the right thing to do. And the thing is, is that for me, I don't want anybody to waste their money on non-surgical procedures that don't give them the kind of results that they want. Right. You know, that doesn't make anybody happy. It's, so I'll always refer at that point. But what I don't like is these this whole concept of like, starter facelifts or like start early and that way you could just do little things. I don't know. I think that's, frankly, I think that's profoundly wrong. It's so and- funny. I just sent Daniela a picture mm-hmm. yesterday from the Real Self app of this woman could not have been 40 years old yet. No, I, I think no she's way. definitely in her 30s. Yeah. And she had a full mm-hmm. facelift by a very well-known doctor at $75,000 yep. and literally did not look any different. She didn't need she anything. Didn't need she, yeah. she was absolutely gorgeous. And I thought, wow, like ethically, you would think that the doctor yeah. would have said to her, you know what, come back and see me in two decades. But, right. um, you know, it's just, it's just crazy to me. I do think too, though, that if you do certain things, little tiny tweaks for a while, you can prevent a yes. lot of you know, needing surgery. I mean, if you're getting Botox in your 20s or your 30s, you're not going to have the deep lines that you may have had otherwise if you weren't being proactive. No question. That's that's the whole thing. Is that my beef with all this is that every surgery is temporary. There's no, you know, because we're we're changing our faces, are changing our tissues, are changing all the time. So for most surgeries, a time frame of about 10 years, 15 years. That's pretty much that's that's pretty much it. So if you start very early, then you're right. saying that I'm going to do a redo and redo. And when you start and there's, you know, after the surgery, there's always going to be scar tissue under the skin. There's always going to be the anatomy has changed and everything is, is altered. As a surgeon, I can tell you, when you go back in there, it's not a friendly place anymore. Right. I mean, right. it's just you can you're, you're the scarring makes it much more complex, much more risky. And it makes the results much less achievable to have natural, youthful, you know, beautiful results. It's it's very it's very very difficult the second time around. So that's why I think it's best to when when people come in, I always recommend to them, look, let's do all the non-surgical stuff we can to prevent and to you know to make you look as you know as good as we can, and then when we really need to go for it. That's when we do surgery because you want to have your first facelift should be your last facelift. Right. That really should be it because it's just there's a lot we can do. I mean, in terms of, as you say, you're absolutely right. Botox has a great preventative effect. And so when you do it regularly, you don't get those lines etched into the skin. And then other procedures have a good you know, effect on stimulating collagen, on thickening the skin, on preventing some of this skin laxity that people invariably get, get as they age. And so doing that kind of stuff really pushes that date of the facelift back to when you do one and then that's, and that's it. That's the optimal kind of situation. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm trying to to convince Daniela of that too, but um, <laughs> we're going to hold off as long as possibly can. Let me ask you, Dr. Rifkin, what is new on the horizon? Is there, is there a new injectable or procedure that you're excited about that's new that you might let us in on a secret? There's a new toxin coming out relatively soon that may be, and I say maybe because I still want, I'm, I'm never sure 
about the claims of any product until we actually have experience with it. Right. So even the studies can be, you know, you can you can you can engineer a study to show the kind of results that you want it to show. And so it's only the proof of isn't pudding. You know, we want right. to see it. You want to see it in out there in the world and see how it performs. But there may be a toxin coming out that's a longer lasting toxin than three months, which will be really exciting. That's very exciting. There are constantly new fillers coming out. And we do the studies for, you know, for, uh, for some of these fillers. And there's new fillers coming out. Some of them are a little bit more hardy than others. That'll be really interesting because you can do more in terms of, you can do more precise sculpting work with something that's a little bit thicker. And so that, that'll be really interesting. That's exciting. And then the holy grail is skin tightening. Right. I mean, it's really, really hard. to. Yeah, skin. that's what I was going to ask you about, because that's like, you know, a lot of our listeners to ask about, too. Yeah. And that's really that's super hard because everybody I do like I, it's funny. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to describe this in audio as opposed to video. But every time somebody comes in and sits in my chair and they they are concerned about aging, they take their hands, they put it to their <laughs> like right to the next to their ears and they pull up. And they yeah. say, that, I it's want what that. we do in the mirror every yeah. day. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do that yet. <laughs> I, I can't wait for the time when I can actually do that. And they'll come, somebody will come in, they'll sit in my chair, they'll say, I want that. And I'll be like, yes, I can give you that. <laughs> Let me just clip yet. that back. Yeah. Your hair extension. Well, that's the thing. So, right. So there's like, and we can't, you cannot yet put it, put a crank in the back of anybody's head. Clip like we do for clothes to make yeah. them tighter. Yeah. yeah that's all so, I want. I just want to, I, I just decided that I was in an elevator the other day and I looked up and there were mirrors on the ceiling and I was like, damn, I look good like that. I'm just going to walk around like that from now there on. You <laughs> there you go. There you go. So what do you like for skin tightening right now, Dr. Ripken? There's no free lunch with skin tightening. Right. I mean, there's a free lunch with fillers where you do it and you can go back to work with Botox. You do it, you go back to work. There's no free lunch with skin tightening. You have to, in order to see good results, you kind of have to do a little bit of downtime where you're a little swollen and you're a little, bru- you're a little banged up. The thing that we're seeing the best results with right now are radio frequency on needles. So it's these, they're devices that the needles go under the skin and then they release heat energy in the form of radio frequency. That seems to stimulate collagen growth quite well and it seems to reliably tighten the skin. It's not a facelift. It's not... You know what I mean? It's not as yeah, it's as, not as dramatic. It's not as dramatic, right. so it's more subtle, but it's something. You know, because previous technologies, eh, you know, you had to kind of any technology where you have to like squint to see the difference. I'm not thrilled with. You know, because right. so often with these previous technologies, you had to be like, well, yeah, maybe I guess there's something there. Yeah. This you see, I see it. I see a nice difference. People are happy with it, but. You know, there's there's some there's some swelling for you know a week, maybe a week and a half or so, and there's some bruising. I had it done, and at the time, I just had it done because I wanted to see what it what it was like, and also I have some jawline issues, which which I cover with a beard. Not a good uh, look for us, Barb. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> much more challenging for you guys <laughs> outside the circus. <laughs> um, so I did this. And I had at the time like a six-month-old, 
and we took pictures together and you know how like he has these big chubby cheeks and then I had these big chubby cheeks. And was, <laughs> I thought it was pretty cute. Very but, cute. Yeah, that's what you get. Have you heard of or do you know about J plasma laser? Yeah, so that's the other thing that was that was gonna kind of on my mind. I think J plasma is interesting. I think it's early and I think that I, I have not gotten into it yet because I'm a little worried about that technology. It's awfully intense. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of heat under the skin and whether how well it's controlled, I, I'm still getting information about that. And I still want to evaluate what their real adverse event rate is and you know how safe it is. I've heard things at the beginning, when it, when it came out, and I think this is the case with a lot of technology. When it first comes out, people don't yet know quite how to use it optimally. And so so that's why I want to wait until people figure out how to use it optimally before I jump on the bandwagon. Because I've heard, I had heard about bad side effects at the beginning. Oh, really? Okay. It's a blowtorch under your skin. It's, it's, it's that heat. That sounds lovely. Well, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like I, what I had heard is that um, originally they were using it for people to tighten their skin after they had like liposuction or something like that to, cause then, or they lost a lot of weight and then they have a lot of loose body skin that they would use this. Yeah. So it kind of piqued my interest I, right away. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Once I'm kind of convinced that we have figured out how to use it in a way that's really um, optimally safe, I think it, it may represent a really good advance. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure it's there yet. So for someone like me that has melasma, though, Dr. Rivkin, I can't really do anything with heat because then I get a a secondary lovely, you know, I went through that talk about downtime. You and I laughed about it when I've had the Cosmolin peel and that is mega downtime. And to have, you know, any of these radio frequency or heat procedures, I had I have had a flare in the melasma, which I haven't had in years, and I'm treating it currently. But I think that they uh, some doctors don't really share that, you know, if you suffer from melasma, heat is not your friend. Yes, no question, absolutely. You can really get a flare in your in the melasma, and you can really get some um, some some uh, gnarly pigmentation afterwards with any of these heat kind of things. So you have to be really careful. People with melasma, people with reactive skin, like some Asian skin as well, can be fairly reactive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so if you know that, you know, if when you get a cut or when you or something like that, that the skin pigments over that, that's somebody you have to be quite careful. You have to be conservative at first and then maybe do a little bit more if, if everything is okay. The other question I have is about sculpture. Is that still looked at as like a, a really good treatment to help? gain a little more collagen and elasticity yeah. in your skin. Yeah, no, sculpture is great. You know, the story about sculpture is really so interesting, right? Do you guys know what sculpture is? Yeah, no. I, I do, but... It's, so it's it's interesting there. We're doing, again, as a surgeon, I'm used to the tools that we have at surgery. And one of the tools is these Vicryl stitches that we use them all day long, every operating room, all day long, every day. Um, they're very, very good temporary sutures. And somebody noticed at some point that microscopically at the entry points of the, of these sutures, where those entry points were, there was a, uh, there's a lot of collagen stimulation um, right at that point, microscopically. 
And so they thought, huh, I wonder if we take all this Vicryl stuff, we grind it up, we put it, we, put, we mix, mix it with some water and inject it. You know, I mean, this is like, that's very creative, I got to say. And you inject it, maybe it'll stimulate collagen growth underneath the skin. And lo and behold, Sculpture was born. Wow. It was, it's, it's such a leap of faith. It's, uh, it's, it's great. And I think at the beginning, the impetus for it was facial wasting, HIV facial wasting. Oh, the right. Drugs, mm-hmm. Yes, because the drugs that these guys were on really made them very, very, wa- their face really uh, gaunt. Mm-hmm. And they looked, they just looked really terrible. Right. And so they were, you know, they were suffering because this is like, it really, I mean, they were present, it was obvious that they were on these drugs because nobody else looked like this. They're so, mm-hmm. so gaunt. Um, and so it was just, it was really tough, but you inject a lot, a bunch of the stuff in there and they looked really good. They really plumped up and it stayed plumped up for a while. So we've been using it aesthetically for, for quite, you know, for a good amount of years and it, it works very well. It's very safe. And it's, it's great, especially for large areas. When you want to give volume in a large area, like, you know, the soft part of the cheeks or the temples, and you just, you want all that to volumize, sculpture is a great choice. It lasts a good long time and, you know, and it, it's very natural. Result. Oh, and the other benefit of it, the bonus of it, is that because it's a collagen stimulating uh, material, it makes the skin thicker and improves the quality of the skin and so wow. gets those little fine lines they 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 disappear so wow so it makes the skin thicker so that would be a really good thing to put around like the temples or no it would be great it's great around the temples the only problem is when it, the skin is like around the eyes for example um where the skin is really thin mm-hmm. it's tricky it's tough to do that's what i was that's what i was thinking because i have very yeah. thin skin around that area yeah it's so not it's, it's not reversible and so if you get any kind of if you get any kind of bump on skin that's very thin it, it, it'll be visible and there's not a lot you can do with it so it's oh wow it has to if you're doing it so you have to do it very very carefully if you're going to do it in that area it's still done there and it's still not a bad idea to do it there you just have to be very careful mm-hmm we had someone on the other day that is a psychotherapist and is using ketamine treatment. She's to help people with depression and anxiety. And I know that you have started or you've entered into a program helping people that have been cutting to help with the scarring that that they've had as a result. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's really just such a beautiful thing. You know, I mean, I'm, I, I'm. You're all hard. <laughs> around here, I sit around here in the office doing, you know, doing these kinds of aesthetic procedures, and sometimes I think about, like, you know, is there something I can do that's a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit more impact on uh, on the world, and you know, is, is there something I can do that's that's maybe not. You know, that's, I mean, I'm making people feel better and that's great, but is there something more I can do? And so one of my, and I can, I can say the names because she's, you know, she's gone on to, you know, we, we do this together now. Uh, Michelle Borth, she's an actress. She's on Hawaii Five O, and she was on like a bunch of different, she was in Shazam and all this kind of stuff. So she was in my office and she said, hey, let, can I just kind of talk to you about something private. And so I said, yeah, yeah, of course. So we sat down, closed the door, sat down. She rolls up her sleeves and she has these 
gashes across her wrists. So obviously a you know suicide attempt in the in the past. Wow. And she tells me the story about how and they're they're indented at the time you know when I saw her. And she tells me the story about how she's had struggles with depression with with you know substance abuse and stuff like that and how there's this one time when she was really bad she cut herself badly. She went to the ER and and this is what kind of got me is that she went to the ER and she was really treated she wasn't treated very well no. because people saw her as somebody who had tried to commit suicide and they were almost I don't know there's this thing that we still have about mental illness where you're it's sort of you're looked at in our society in a morally negative manner Absolutely. right so so they they cleaned her up and they stitched her up in a way that was like not very good and like they just kind of did a a, a very cursory job for a young woman uh, you know I thought that was pretty insensitive with the way the and I saw the pictures of what it looked like immediately afterwards wow not great I mean like yeah not big big stitches like just not not very aesthetically pleasing and so what happened is it scarred badly and she said look Every time I go on set, every time I act, I have to be worried about these scars of mine and showing these scars and, you know, co- covering them up and, you know, with makeup and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just, I just have to, it reminds me all the time. It reminds me of this time in my life where, you know, where I was, where was, things are bad and I've recovered and things are much better now, but it just drags me down every time. And I said, oh man, you know, I looked at that and I thought, this is like the easiest thing in the world. I can fill those I can fill those scars in 5 minutes and make them like essentially disappear. Which is what we did. And she was just like she was moved to tears because it was such she for so many years she'd been kind of looking at these things and not knowing that there's something she could do and thinking that if there's something that she could do that was probably going to be the surgical procedure that was going to be super invasive and 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 difficult and here here I am, I just filled him up in two minutes and it was done. Wow. And so she, so we, you know, I, I was, and I'm like, yeah, this, of course, I'm, I'm, of course I'll do that. This is like the easiest thing in the world. And, and it has, and it's so meaningful for you. I would, yeah, I'm more than happy to do that. And then she told me about how many people she knows with this issue who would do self-harm scars or suicide attempts or just kind of, you know, with this, with these kinds of scars. And I thought this is like, this is something that's so easy for, for me or for, you know, the nurses that work for me. And it would be so impactful for these people that, you know, I, I I would, I, and, and the only, the only thing is that a lot of these people, it keeps them from having a job, keeps them from going to just social, keeps it down in their professional life, their social life. And it really impacts their life in so many different dimensions. And so sometimes, a lot of times, they can't afford these kinds of treatments. They can't afford, they feel, they feel intimidated walking through the door here because they feel like they can't afford these kinds of treatments. And I thought, gosh, I can't, I can do this. This is easy. I don't have to charge for this. So for people that can't afford it, we just don't charge. That's amazing, Dr. Rivkin. And it's like, it's been great. We've had a lot of people who have done it. We've been with Michelle. We've gone on, you know, People Magazine and stuff like that. And the cool thing about it is as I've spoken about this to my colleagues, 
they've gotten excited about it too. So that oh, I'm not the only one sitting here in LA doing it. There's people I know in Texas who'll do it. There's people I know on the East Coast who'll do it. And that's great. That's, that's really great. That's incredible. I mean, you've always been so altruistic and so compassionate. You're mm-hmm. a really special person. And I thank so much for doing our show oh, and for sharing. And that that's just tremendous. What a wealth of information. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Anytime. You guys are so nice and so sweet. It's really a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks, Dr. Rivkin. And do you want to share with everybody how to find you? Oh, sure. We're on Instagram at Rifkin Aesthetics or Dr. Rifkin. And then online, it's westsideaesthetics.com. Or if you, you know, if you want to give us a ring, more than happy to chat at 310-443-5273 at Westside Aesthetics. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Okay, well, I guess that does it for this episode of Honest AF. If there's any questions you have or other products that you would like us to review or look into, uh, please hit us up on our socials. Honest AF Show is our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And HonestAFShow.com is our website. Until next time, thank you so much. Bye. Bye, everybody. We um, obviously need to do a disclaimer here. So we want you to know we are not doctors or experts by any stretch of the imagination. We are just a couple of gals that are looking for magical products, procedures, and experiences. And in our quest, we will share our honest as fuck opinions with you. So please make sure before you try anything we talk about that you know your own restrictions and do so at your own risk. Do not blame us for any of your issues. We're just experimenting too.